All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This is number 39 of Linux in the Hamshack. I am Russ, K5TUX. I'm broadcasting from the pine forest between the peaks in north-central Arkansas. And Richard is not here this week. Life circumstances have been conspiring to keep Richard away from all kinds of things lately. And we're sorry that he's not able to be with us here tonight, but we do have a special guest host who is going to try and quasi-adequately fill the shoes that Richard so hugely wears. Anyway, uh, from the IRC and from various other podcasts and a new addition as co-host to Linux Basement, we have Claudio M. So welcome to the show, Claudio. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks, Russ. Uh, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, it's good to have you, especially since uh, you were willing to come on short notice, like real short notice, since I said, hey, Claudia, I want to do this in a couple hours. And you said, sure, as long as I can put my kids in the bath and get them to bed before I have to talk to you, then that's fine. So, yeah, thankfully I managed to managed to do that. <laughs> Came, cut it real close, but I managed to do it. Ah, oh, that's excellent. So they're all they're all snug in their beds and not not going to worry about uh, having them wake up in the middle and come say, "Hey, Daddy, can I get a glass of milk or anything like that in the middle of the show?" Well, I can guarantee they're asleep. I can't guarantee that they will do that. <laughs> I can't guarantee that they'll stay that way for very long. No, they're pretty good. I I, I can't I can't complain. Well, okay. So if we have impromptu additional co-hosts, we'll we'll get them in on the round table and we'll ask how they feel about. Um, Linux on the desktop. How's that? Well, I'm sure they'd be fine with it. I mean, they they run uh, they run Ubuntu on their on their PC, so <laughs> so not big gamers yet. Not a lot of first person shooters. No. Uh... My eldest and I sometimes play a, f- a few games. Like uh, we'll play uh, uh, what is it? Uh, World of Padman, and uh, that one's kind of a a, shoot, a a first person shooter, but there's no gore. There's nothing nothing like that. It's all like, you know, you shoot like paintballs and all this kind of weird stuff. Uh, but it's a pretty cool game. I think it's it's based off of the same engine that Open Arena is. So we play that. Uh, but we also play um, uh, Battle for Wesna. So we do get some gaming in. Oh, that's pretty good. Keep them away from um, the, those games that involve like drugs and hookers and all that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's for everybody else in the IRC. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, excellent. Okay, so before we get into a couple of topics, let's get a little of your qualifications down, so you can tell us all about why you think you're qualified to be here and to talk about Linux and all and all of those kind of things. I know that's kind of a loaded question and it encompasses a lot of <laughs> lot of area, but um, I'm sure you'll handle it just fine. Well, hmm. Oh, you, you did ask me to come on, so <laughs> I think I'm, I think in that respect, I, I guess I was qualified. Um, well, I've been a Linux user for quite a long time. I actually was um, originally a, a a big time Apple user. Uh, I had been an Apple user since the Apple IIc that I got when I was a kid, and and I've been pretty much a Mac fan since up until I would say mid '90s. I was introduced to Linux. Uh, by my boss because I was working at a at a um, uh, I started working at a um, uh, a local ISP and uh, he pretty much told me about Linux and and the whole idea behind it and free software and and open source and it really intrigued me and so I figured let me give this a try let me start messing with it so uh, 
started he had some uh i think a copy of red hat somewhere and and he set it up for me on a, on a pc at work and i started messing around with it and it was a far cry from what i was used to on the mac side but it, i just was so intrigued by the whole unix like environment and you know the fact that it was free software in the sense that it was free you know as, as in libra you know as in, as in being uh free for freedom I just thought that was a really awesome concept, and you know, you you, you could do whatever you want with it. You could uh, modify it. You could you could do anything that you want. You weren't limited to by um, by anything in it. So I kind of kept that, and eventually I got myself a copy of uh, was it uh, Red Hat 4.2, and I had that installed in an old PC at home. And and you know, at the time I was you know I couldn't afford a Mac personally. Uh, so I stuck around with a with a PC running Windows, and I do a booted between Red Hat and that, uh, and you know, gradually I kind of you know built my skills with uh, with Linux, and I became more familiar with it. And uh, I moved through various distributions. I moved through SUSE back when it was 6.3 days before Novell took it over. Uh, I was using Linux Mandrake uh, before it became Mandriva. Uh, I played with Debian, and then. Uh, then I, uh, you know, the 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 momentous occasion for me was when I encountered Slackware, and um, you know I I figured let me give Slackware a try because I keep hearing great things about it, and when I tried version eight, I, it it made me cry, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then I, uh, I I I I was like well you know this might be too much for me, so I played with Debian a bit and I really like Debian, and then I figured you know what let me give let me give Slackware another try. And so I went back with version 9, and I really said, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to throw myself at it. I'm going to read the fine manual, as they like to say. And uh, I I have to be honest with you, I learned so much with Slackware. And if anybody's ever heard the saying, you know... Uh, uh, you know, give a give a give a person Red Hat, and he'll learn Red Hat. Give a person, uh, you know, Debian, he'll learn Debian. But give a person Slackware, and he'll learn Linux. I will tell you, it definitely applies <laughs> because I really a lot of what I I learned through Slackware, I've applied on all the distributions that I've used, and it's helped me understand Linux a whole lot better. So my main distributions now, and I've been, I mean, you know, we're talking about since I've started in I would say 1996, I've been with Linux. I went exclusively, I would say 2003, 2004 is when I finally just said forget Windows. Uh, going exclusive to Linux, I was still using OS 10, um, but I've that you know, and that was mainly my primary OS at the time on the Mac. Uh, but currently, uh, Linux has pretty much taken over that space. So, um, you know, Linux is pretty much my primary OS. Uh, OS 10, I would say, is my secondary. Uh, Windows is, you know, if I got to do it, I got to do it, and I have no other choice. <laughs> so, but right now my uh, the distributions I usually run are Slackware, um, uh, Ubuntu, uh, which may be switching, um, uh, Debian, and I've been I've been playing around with uh, Fedora with this new version 13 they have, and it's pretty good. I'm liking it. So, uh, so there you go. <laughs> and uh, you know I've been involved as much as I can in spreading you know the and spreading the you know the 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 word about uh free software and open source especially at work I work as a computer tech for two elementary schools and you know it's a very microsoft centric environment and 
at first, you know, when I when when I you know I started getting involved in the community of techs that we have in our district, it was a bit tough because a lot of them were like, oh, this Linux, oh, you know, whatever. They kind of blew it off, but you know, I kind of kept that and I and I shared. We have a there's a forum that we visit um, called Miami Techs, and uh, we kind of share information through there, kind of like you would on any forum. But uh, you know, I, I do my best to kind of. Uh, provide information regarding to open source and free software and but actually did one time I had done an install fast and we had a good turn we had a decent turnout I would say maybe about 15 people showed up uh, so uh, it's been pretty good and a lot of a lot of people starting to, to use uh, Linux in their environments for different things for you know as diagnostic to as, as a diagnostic tool as a servers different things like that so you know, I'm pretty happy with that, <laughs> um, and thankfully there have been other people that have also been spreading the word about free software and open source and Linux and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Then uh, I recently joined on uh, as co-host for Linux Basement, which uh, Chad Wallenberg, uh, who's the, the the founder of the of the podcast, he had asked me if I was interested, and I said, sure, why not. <laughs> And um, it was, you know, it was a little scary for me because I had never con considered uh, doing a podcast. Uh, I kind of figured, you know, if I was going to, and I had been asked before if I wanted to do something like that. And I was like, well, you know what? I don't want to reinvent the wheels. There's already a ton of podcasts out there. Uh, but I figured, you know what? It, I might as well, you know, let, let me give this a try. It's, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and I was right. It's been it's been a, it's been a blast so far, and Chad has been awesome to work to to do the podcast with, and I'm thankful to him for giving me the opportunity. So <clears throat> there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent, and I I know that um, I've been listening to the Linux Basement, and a couple of things have happened to it since you've been on the show. The first of which is that it comes out more regularly, which is a great thing for a podcast. Um, yes, yes, I, we. we I, we wanted to make sure we could do because we we both have families and we both have you know they take up a lot of our time and not that's not a bad thing, uh, but uh, it sometimes makes it a little tough to to stick with a podcast regularly. So we had debated as to you know do we want to do this weekly? Do we want to do this biweekly or a fortnight as they say in in uh, <laughs> over at uh, Colonel Panics? Um, but I, I you know we figured uh, doing it every other week would be easier for us uh so i that may change we don't know yet <laughs> uh but uh, for right now that's pretty much working for us yeah fortnightly works out for for us as well and i and i think it works out for a lot of podcasts i know a lot of them do it for for those who aren't dedicated to it for you know for those whom a podcast is not their primary effort mm -hmm. every every fortnight or every month seems to be about right once once you get into doing it every yeah. week uh, it's pretty much what you do. Right, right, absolutely. It's possible we may end up doing something like that because I, I kind of been thinking about it, but it, you know, I gotta, I gotta go through it with my approval process over here, aka the wife, and, <laughs> and make sure that everyone's cool with it. But for right now, uh, doing it fortnightly seems to be the best. Right, and the other thing that's happened since Linux Basement has taken you on. Uh, interestingly, is the quality has gone up considerably. Not not that Chad had a bad podcast before, but when you, when you have two people discussing a topic as opposed to one person uh, evangelizing, it, it always tends to be a little more interesting. And I'm sure you've uh, you've seen that uh, from the inside as well as heard about it from the outside. 
Oh, most definitely, most definitely. I've noticed it myself. Um, sometimes we don't, you know, Chad and I don't always agree. Uh, so, you know, it's it's nice to be able to have that, that interaction, you know, back and forth between between two people, especially when they don't agree, because uh, you you get two different perspectives of of, of a particular topic, and uh, something you know I, I'll get um, I'll get aside from Chad that maybe I hadn't thought about with regards to a particular topic and vice versa. So it's nice to have that back and forth, you know, and, and you know, and we usually agree on a lot of things, um, but if we would always agree, it'd be kind of boring. <laughs> It'd be it wouldn't be it'd probably be no better than having just one person there. But I, I I do agree. I mean, even before I started on, I always I always enjoyed uh, Linux Basement. Chad has always had some great topics on there and and tutorials as well. I mean, he's he was always his tutorials have always been very good and very thorough. So I definitely give him props for that. And it it probably doesn't hurt that both of you come from an educational background. Yeah, we do kind of have a. <laughs> We do kind of have that uh, that common bond there, uh, you know, and, and and we look at things from that perspective. So uh, I know recently we we had discussed, uh, at, at, or at least Chad had mentioned, uh, having to purchase licenses uh, for uh, uh, Photoshop CS5 and how much that came to be that came to cost. And uh, yeah, I kind of understood where he was coming from because we have a very similar situation with software like that. Um, where you know for some reason or other they decide to go on a on a license uh you know per license uh uh purchase as opposed to a you know a blanket kind of license for their for their software and uh you know like chad i've always been one to push uh you know uh free and open source software over proprietary software and that makes sure i even talk to my administration about it and everything um, you know, sometimes it doesn't go over well, but uh, you know, I keep keep fighting the good fight. Well, that's excellent. That's kind of what we do over here. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about as I've been as I went through school, um, when computers really came into the picture, which was in high school or, or late junior high, and into <clears throat> uh, into high school, um, it, we started out with. With Apple, of course, that that seemed to be the way to go because Apple kind of, uh, not that they started everything, but they they were the big market early in the days of the personal computer. So educators went with Apple, and then for some reason in my college days we were still using Apple's, and then switched over to believe it or not, Novell Netware. <laughs> so oh wow, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Microsoft was in there a little bit, you know, um, on the desktop somewhat. It was, it was in the real early days. In fact, uh, I'm not even sure when I started out if Windows for Workgroups had been released yet. I think it was still the 3.1 version. Linux really wasn't around. We were using Unix. Uh, BSD Unix was around. We had uh, also CMS running on VAX hardware and stuff like that. But Linux was nowhere in that picture, no, nowhere at all. And it was nice when it finally came around, uh, at least for me. It was pretty much like that with with me. I mean, I, I had always been surrounded with apples, and, uh, and and I'm I'm talking like Apple IIs and stuff. Um, I had learned Basic on the Apple II. Uh, so actually, I learned Basic way before that on on a Commodore Pet. So <laughs> that was when I was in elementary, and then. Um, as I went to the higher grade levels, about middle school, 
they had Apple IIs, and I learned basic there. Uh, but yeah, there was this kind of transition. When I started uh, college, uh, I had already moved to Miami, uh, which is where I reside now, and uh, I was attending the college here, and I was studying sound engineering, actually. And most of the computers that they had there, of course, they were Macs. So Apple was big time there in that respect. But as far as any other labs, they always had the PCs there. Um, and yeah, Linux never really caught on until, at least for me in an educational environment, uh, I would say, well, I'm still wa I'm still really waiting for it, at least in the K-12 through area. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's mainly the, the techs uh, that are at their respective schools that kind of make it apparent to everyone uh, that there is something called Linux out there. Uh, but at least that's been my experience, and that's what I try to do, anyways. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's been it's still rather uh, nascent in its uh, in its spread, at least in the K through K through 12. But I I do believe it's been it's it's kind of spread a little more in the uh, in the university space, if I'm not mistaken. It depends on the university space you're at. I know um, we have uh, some friends who are sysadmins at Ohio State, and a lot of their stuff is Linux, but a lot of their stuff is still Windows as well. And I know in our area, which is southwestern Missouri, things tend to be Windows-centric as well. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I've heard of I've heard of universities and colleges that embrace open source and Linux. And I know lots of corporations and lots of educational institutions that don't. And that actually is going to lead to one of the topics. And you actually brought up, brought up both of the topics that uh, we're going to kick around here uh, in your little introduction to yourself. I don't even know if you realize it, but you did, which was kind of cool. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, And I was wondering if you were actually going to get to your qualifications, because you, you rambled on for a little bit, and then right at the end you said, oh, and I'm uh, in the uh, elementary school computer space. <laughs> Well, you know what? A lot of what I've done has been self-taught. Um, I, I would say the 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 only certifications that I really have had are my A plus that I took a while ago, which is probably extremely out of date at this point, and uh, uh, my CCNA that I had uh, gotten. Uh, I didn't. I hadn't renewed it only because uh, at the time, uh, really the the. the where I'm, where I'm currently working, the district I'm currently working at apparently is not honoring it. So, um, you know, I didn't really have the financial ability to go and pay every three years to retake a test. So, at, at that point, I had just kind of let it go. I am looking to see about probably some sort of Linux certification. Um, I mean, just to kind of sort of you know say that I really do know what I'm doing with Linux. <laughs> But uh, most of most of my stuff has been self-taught, just you know, on my own. Um, you know, and and um, as far as my qualifications, they have been you know, I have worked at an ISP, um, and then from there I started working. Uh, I had you know landed a, a position in the school district, working as a tech, and uh, just kind of built from there. But most of what I learned was really on my own. So. Yeah, and in that respect, you and I are quite a bit alike. I learned almost everything that I I know by myself. I taught myself basic on a TRS-80 color computer, Model 1, the 16K version. Um, oh, wow. <clears throat> back in 1980, <laughs> I mm -hmm. think. 
Um, right. Yeah. There, there was either a high seven or a low eight in there somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, and then, um, like I said, when I went to school, the first thing I learned on was um, the early Max 2, 2 Plus, 2E. And uh, my friend had a 2C, which uh, he liked, but I, I thought the 2 Plus was kind of cool because it had the color display and all that. If I remember right, I think you could get a color display for the 2C, but he didn't have one. Yeah, I had. A, I actually did have a color display for my 2C. The only thing about the 2C is that it was very a closed nature device, which kind of, kind of was, I guess, the harbinger for uh, the the way the Macs were designed. Um, because if as I, I had actually used Apple IIe's before, and and I always thought those were really nice. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't as portable as the 2C, but it was very open, and you could do whatever you wanted in there. So, which was was kind of neat. Now, ironically, that was, uh, you know, the Apple IIs were were more of the Steve Wozniak design. So he's always been known for the, more of the openness of of computing, which is uh, something I've always admired about him. Yeah, I've always been a huge fan of uh, Steve Wozniak. That being said, when I was at the Dayton Hamvention a couple of weeks ago, or I guess it's three weeks ago now, something like that, there were many, many people who came up to the booth and had lots of great stuff to talk to us about. We met a lot of great people and a lot of fun and interesting ham radio operators who had lots of interesting perspectives on Linux and open source and Windows and a lot of other things. But a couple of things kind of stood out to me. A lot of the people who came up to the booth were interested in what we were selling. We were, of course, there to promote the podcast. And thanks to the folks at Ohio Linux Fest who gave us about 100 Ubuntu 10.04 CDs to give away, we were also promoting them and giving out discs of Ubuntu. We did that for two and a half days, and I consider the whole thing a huge success. But when folks came up and asked us what we were selling and when we told them nothing and that we were giving stuff away, uh, at least half of them were a little bit taken aback. And I found that extremely interesting. When we told them that there was software like Windows but was free, both as a thought experiment and as cashless, they were incredulous. And when they came up and said, you know, how much do you want for these CDs? And we said, we're giving them away. It took them, you know, a few seconds to register it. Now, that brings up some thoughts that have come to me in the past where people have said, well, the reason why corporations and educational institutions and big business, for example, deal with Windows or Mac OS is because they pay for it. And because they pay for it, they feel secure in it. They know they've got, you know, support, I guess. What I've heard in a lot of cases is if it's free, it must not be any good. Ideas along those lines. At the Dayton Hamvention, that thought process was reinforced rather strongly. And so hopefully I'm going to uh, throw that over to Claudio and he's going to say something interesting and then we're going to have a dialogue about is the fact that open source software in most cases is free a good thing or a bad thing for the software itself? Personally, and I've, I just recently went through something like this, and it wasn't specifically with Linux, but it was specifically, uh, it was mainly with just f the free software. 
I think the the biggest problem that there is is the fact uh, the the fact that people misconstrue what is meant by the word free. What makes it harder is that in the English language, free has two meanings. Uh, if you take uh, uh, any other uh, another language, like let's say uh, Spanish, for example, free as in beer or free as in uh, having to deal with price. Uh, in Spanish, you would say is gratis, is gratis. Uh, now, when you're talking about free as in freedom, in Spanish, that's called libre or libertad. Uh, so there, there's a distinct, there's a distinction right there in Spanish because there's two separate words to describe two different, th two different uh, uh, ideas. Unfortunately, in the English language, we have one word to describe the two. So. The misconception is that when people hear about free software, just in my opinion, and, and I'm sure others share this too, especially those uh, that that support free software, um, they hear free soft. You, you you tell anybody about free software, and they think instantly it has something to do with price. And of course, you know, the, people are always people seem to have this jaded. Uh, this jaded view of things that are free because they always think that wh where's the catch? There's a, there's always some sort of string attached or some things, you know. Why it, this is too good? Is it, it always sounds like it's too good to be true. And uh, unfortunately, there have been a lot of people that have been taken by such things. So I guess it's just kind of a gradual thing that that people tend to think. You know, if it's free, there's supposedly nothing. There's no catch, whatever. I don't know. I'm not very trustworthy here. Maybe there's something I'm not seeing. It's not very evident to them, but it's mainly, in my opinion, a misunderstanding of what's meant by the word free. Um, just, just case in point. Uh, I had, uh, I had a, a friend who was asking about antivirus for her Windows computer, and I told her, well, you can look, you know, you can look at these. These uh, now, this granted, these are free as in, as in just price. So it's not that they were free as in freedom, uh, you know. And this was a solution by Microsoft itself. Uh, they have a, a, a an antivirus package called Microsoft Security Essentials. And I told her, well, you can look at this. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Well, you know, she wasn't very trustworthy of anything free. Uh, and another friend of hers had actually told her about a uh, a pay for antivirus software called uh NOD32 and uh you know I've heard good things about that too and everything but whatever the point was that eventually she decided to go with the actual pay for software as opposed to the um as opposed to the free soft the the free as in price software the, the gratis software um Provided by the same company that makes the operating system that she uses. Granted, I had given her proof of the fact that this was actually as good, if not better, than the software that she was going with, or probably another software that was recommended to her. Uh, but she didn't want it. She said she said straight out, "I don't do free software," which was kind of funny because I kind of I responded back to her and I was like, you know, I'm kind of you know disappointed that you think that way because you know I use free software and not just free as and price but in both meanings I have a very hard time 
viewing free software as something that is uh, cheap or 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 of less quality than uh, the pay for stuff. Uh, so it's it just seems like a common thing, and of course, like you said, there's uh, the you know corporations and ed educational institutions look to uh, pay for software because they feel they are paying for something for for the support. Um, and what was funny is that I actually was was given a reason as to why companies instead of going with free software, open source software, they decide to go with uh, the proprietary software that that costs them so much more money, and it's because it gives them a it gives them the ability the, it gives them somebody that they can sue if something goes wrong, which kind of I was, you know it really surprised me. I was like, is this really why you're paying for the software so that you have someone to blame when something goes wrong? You know, and and I just thought it was insane. It really didn't make any sense to me. And so you have a solution here that's free that respects your freedoms, that lets you do whatever you want with it. The only thing you would have to pay for is the service behind it, which they do. A lot of companies like Red Hat and and Canonical, they provide services for a lot of the free software we use, like the Linux distributions or or whatever other free and open source software is out there. They don't want to see it. They they just they don't see that aspect of it that you know they, they can still if they want to pay for the support they can get the same support. But they're free to do anything they want with that particular software. No, they just a lot of them look at it and it's like, well, we need someone to point the finger at when something goes wrong. So I mean, it's just it's it's strange, and I have a very hard time sometimes understanding, uh, especially in the educational system where money tends to be very tight, uh, why there's the choice to go with very expensive. Uh, proprietary solutions, which in the end may end up being a waste of money, as opposed to something that is free and open and allows them to do whatever they want and fix whatever they want in case something goes wrong and tailor it to their needs. I just have a hard time comprehending that. But I think it, there is that misconception of um, free being tied solely to price and not necessarily to the freedom that one can do with the particular software. Well, let's ad let's address the issue of free as in beer specifically. I think in a lot of cases people don't understand the the free as in libre free anyway. They buy a piece of software because they wanted to do a specific thing and they want it to work. They assume that because they're paying for the product that there has been something behind it. There has been a team of developers, a corporate structure, and, you know, a testing arrangement, and so on and so forth. And that's what they're paying for when they buy a piece of software. And therefore, if they get something that's free, as in without cost, that none of that support infrastructure exists underneath the software. They don't realize that it's still there they it's just being done by volunteers or by companies who are willing to give up the cost of the software in order to recover revenue in some other way. I want to get down sort of to just a yes or no maybe, or maybe it's not that black and white, but would selling would selling Linux as something inexpensive as opposed to giving it away for free be beneficial, do you think? I mean, 
okay, Windows on average costs, you know, 99 to $299, say, for whatever version of Windows 7 you want to pick up these days, whether it's an OEM copy or an upgrade from whatever you've got. And, you know, you can go to a Linux distribution, and with the exception of Red Hat, Enterprise, and I think uh, Novell has some sort of paid desktop version too, do they not? Yeah, I, I believe they do. I believe they do. Um, well, you know what the funny thing is that you you can still, even with uh, most distributions out there, uh, you can actually pay for a uh, a box set of actual pressed discs. Like I know, for example, Slackware, uh, they have a box set of discs that they press, and uh, you can purchase those discs. And the money for the for for that's that's used from the purchase is is used to support the distribution. Uh, I think it has more to do with maybe a marketing strategy. You look at Apple and you look at Microsoft. They throw so much money into marketing their products and making it appealing to to the general public that they they gain the the trust of the actual general public enough to believe to, to to have them believe that okay I'm actually I'm really paying for this stuff this was really my idea this is things that I'd like to see on um, running on my computer um that's something that I believe that that is sorely lacking as far as uh uh the linux space is concerned you know and the thing is that most people look uh, for for information like that through TV, um, through you know just through the mainstream media, and the problem is that a lot of us and we all know that Linux is so wonderful and and it's a very good piece of software. I've sh I've shown so many people uh, my netbook running Linux, and some of them can't even believe. They they ask me, "What is that you're running?" I tell them, "I'm running Linux. I'm running." And at the time, it was Ubuntu. Uh, and they're shocked. They was like, I thought that was like Windows or something. And I was like, no, that's not Windows. This is uh, run, you know, this is Ubuntu I'm running here. And uh, you know, they look at it. And it's, it's got Windows. It's got icons. It's got, and they kind of get shocked at it and like, wow, is this what you're running? And it's it's free. And I think that's something that needs to be shown to them and and so that they can understand it. Because if we tell them, look, hey, you can use this free operating system. And uh, you don't have to pay a single dime. Uh, it's all free for you to use. You can change for it. You don't have to pay for any upgrades. People tend to be a more, you know, unless I, unless I can see it, I won't believe it kind of attitude. And so all this marketing that Microsoft and Apple are doing, they try to make the general public see it so that they can believe it. Problem is that we all know better, <laughs> you know, um, and we understand that there's a lot of, you know, marketing, you know, is marketing. Uh, so I think that's something that we really need to focus on without, of course, without compromising um, the core beliefs of, lin you know, what the Linux distributions have and, and as far as free software is concerned. Yeah, and uh, a couple of comments on that. As far as, far as those are who think that, the the Microsoft monopoly on like Dell and other big box computer names putting their software out um, at basically 
not no cost, but at, at hidden cost to the consumer, those who don't think that's a problem are insane because that is a huge problem. There were a large number of people who came up to our booth who didn't know that there was something other than Windows. I mean, you know, they assume that computers run Windows. You know, that was the the limit of their knowledge of operating systems. Basically, if it had a keyboard, a screen, and powered up, that Windows was all there was, which is scary, really scary. But it brings me to another issue, which you sort of addressed um, a minute ago, which was, and this is something I thought about uh, to myself over and over again, the fact that the software is free and that there aren't that many companies who are making money off of said free software. I mean, obviously, Canonical is and Red Hat is, and uh, I think Novell isn't since they're up for sale. When when you think about what you know about operating systems, look at, for example, TV advertising. Um, there are two people who adver- There are two companies that advertise computer software. There's Microsoft and there's Apple, and the reason they do is because they have money, and the reason they have money is because they charge for their operating systems and they charge for their support and so on and so forth. So the fact that Linux operating systems rely on the community and word of mouth may be its own worst enemy. And I don't want to bring that up in the sense of, oh, we have to start charging $100 for every piece of Linux software that goes out there or every disk that has a Linux kernel on it, because obviously that's not what we want to do. But the fact that there is no budget for marketing is a you know a huge detriment, and I and I think it's a a real wall to the progression of Linux in the operating system space. I, I don't know how to address that without fundamentally changing open source and Linux and and the way things are. You know, I don't think marketing is a bad thing. I mean, we always, if we, as geeks, we always kind of tend to look at marketing as um, something that's kind of, um, you know, a little slimy. You know, because you, you always look at, at marketing people as people you can't really trust <laughs> for some reason. Uh, when you market something, you're highlighting um, the best things that you can of of the of whatever it is that you're marketing. Um, you know, I'm I'm. Personally, I'm farthest uh, uh, example from as a, as a marketing expert that I can be, uh, but I do see that there is a, a definite benefit in marketing a product. Um, just like uh, one would market, uh, you know, or put out the word for their own podcast and things like that. Um, that was something that was brought up uh, recently, I think, in, in uh, one of the podcasts I was listening to. And um, you know, that's it's it's very important to put that information out there so that people can know about it because you may have the most wonderful product the most wonderful uh, piece of software uh, available but unless people know about it and can and, you know and you you can um, highlight the the positives about it it's not going to do anybody any good I do believe and I, I I do think that their distributions are kind of starting to come around at least the 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 more major distributions that are are, are gearing towards the desktop um it's also you also got to look at who you're you're targeting as well i know there have been some issues with the way canonical's gone about it and i personally have some issues with that but there are people that may be open to something like that you know and and uh 
And but I do believe that uh, something like Fedora or something like Debian or, or any other distributions out there, or just Linux in general, the fact that people can have the choice to pick something that would fit them best and not have to adjust themselves to one particular system. Uh, like you said, the, the all people pretty much see when they when they look at a PC is Windows. All the commercials that you see from Microsoft and from Apple. When they re when they refer to a PC, right off the bat, assume that it's a Windows PC. Never the thought that oh, it's a, it's a PC that maybe is running something else. Um, and again, I'm always it, it, people even ask me, what do you you know? They ask me about uh, my PCs if I run any antivirus on my PCs. No, I I tell them I don't run Windows. I run Linux. And sometimes I'll get the question, what's that? And it kind of I mean that's a way of kind of marketing it, you know, kind of evangelizing it. Um, that was actually one of the things that in in the Mac world uh, a lot of people would do was they would evangelize the Mac platform and that was one way to market the platform and I kind of I'm starting to see that a lot in the Linux uh, in the Linux uh, um, uh, environment uh, with a lot of the users and I think as I said earlier a lot of the distributions are looking to go in that direction it's still I think in the early stages but I think that uh, most distributions are starting to put something together like that. One example, if you look at it, is the uh, the Fedora Ambassador uh, program. Uh, 3:30, who is uh, he's actually one of the uh, uh, one of the guys on on the Colonel uh, uh, Panics. Uh, he um, he's a Fedora Ambassador, and a lot of what he does has to do with um, marketing the platform and, and spreading the word about the platform. Um, I think this is a great start because you're getting everyday people that are out there uh, pretty much spreading the word. Now, it would be nice if as a community we could come together and m do something that would be easily consumed by the general public through mainstream media. Uh, but I think that's going to take a while. But I, it is something that I think that may need to be addressed. Um, it seems to be it's uh, Linux personally. I think seems to be making some inroads. Like I, I know that uh, you know people watch uh, the Big Bang Theory, which is a, a it's a it's a sitcom having to do with uh, with a bunch of geeks and and whatnot. And uh, there have been some recently. There was uh, Ubuntu got highlighted uh, on the show uh, where Sheldon, one of the characters. Uh, had claimed that Ubuntu was his favorite Linux operating system, so things like that. It's it's kind of throwing those, you know, those those uh, those ideas to people, you know, during prime time, uh, and and they, it gets them to ask them, what's what is this? What is this Ubuntu? And you know, they'll search online or whatever, and they'll find out about it. So, but I think we need to go maybe a little deeper. Uh, Maybe it, who knows? Maybe a commercial, but uh, it's I I do think it's very important to market it though, and it's it, because the general public really isn't going to get that from anybody else other than the Linux community itself. So we need to find different ways to go ahead and spread that word to people and show them, uh, you know, there are other options than what's than what are presently given to you. Yeah, and as far as commercials are concerned, I just thought about it while you were talking about it and I was thinking the same thing that wow we really need to have some commercials but if you recall back uh, three or four years ago there were commercials uh, IBM had several commercials for Linux um, yes they were geared towards Linux in the enterprise space um, not Linux on the desktop 
And the big problem with those commercials is they were A, pretty forgettable, and B, extremely esoteric. And I think if we mm-hmm. want to market Linux, we have to do it in the way, you know, I don't want to come up with retarded commercials like the Windows, you know, Windows 7 was my idea kind of thing, because those are like the worst commercials ever. Um, and the Apple commercials are extremely witty and get the point across. But honestly, marketing has to be like a sledgehammer. I mean, you really have to hit people over the head when you're trying to bring something into the spotlight. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally think that the, the Windows commercials are a disaster. Uh, this whole Windows 7 was my idea. I don't know who they're fooling, but um, but I have to say, even with the, with the Apple commercials, um, you know, early on they were they were very vague. They didn't really highlight a lot of what their the products, you know, the, what their products did. Um, yeah, and even the Mac and the PC thing was kind of cute and everything, but it didn't really highlight the products that they had. Now you compare that with the commercials they have now for the iPad, and the i you see these commercials for the iPad, and it shows you they show you what this product does. Mind you, they don't highlight, they don't show you what uh, what the product cannot do, which is something you don't ever want to do in, in mar- you know when you're marketing a product. But you know all of us know that it's a lockdown environment. It's a limited device. They I mean they do a fantastic job in showing people this is what you want to do. This is what you can do with this product. Those Linux commercials I thought they were they're kind of cool, but they didn't highlight anything for for the general public. All the people kept asking. It was it was probably as as bad as the the Mac and PC commercials. All you had was a kid that was representing what Linux was supposed to be, and that and that was pretty much it. It was just it was very it wasn't a concrete. It was very abstract. It was very abstract, and and you know a lot of people don't get that kind of stuff. Um, compare again. Compare that with like the commercial that just came out for the iPad. iPad is this. iPad is whatnot. You know. Those are things people get. They can see what they can do with it, and it piques their interest. That is something that we need to focus on as a community, at least and maybe not in a commercial or whatever, but just some form of advertising or marketing that will get people to you know, think about what they can really do with their computers and the freedom that's given to them by something like Linux and, and just any kind of free and open source software. Now, let's let's take Firefox for example. You remember that they took out, I, I I think it was a full page ad. Was it in the New York Times? I don't remember exactly, but I know they took they had put out ads on on a, a particular publication, and that put Firefox in the minds of so many people in a time where Internet Explorer was king. And look at where Firefox is today compared to. Internet Explorer. I mean, I, I personally believe that that kind of marketing that took place, even just for Firefox itself, uh, from and from Mozilla, that was really pretty effective, in my opinion. And and the word about Firefox spread like wildfire. And you know, recently we had some commercials from Google about Chrome. This was before it was it was completely you know it was it was out there for everybody to, uh, to use. Um, that still hasn't taken up too much. And again, those commercials about uh, Google Chrome were very abstract. You know, it didn't really highlight what people could do with it or what it was. 
it wasn't anything that 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 would really draw anybody's attention. We need to highlight the the strengths of Linux, make it apparent why people would want something like this, and uh, just put the word out there. And I know that as a community, we can do that. Yeah, and I think you're right about that. Unfortunately, without the without the money behind it, you have to be really creative about the ways to get that out there. But it also brings up a couple of things. When you're talking about Firefox, Firefox has an advantage all by itself because I think the average user, when they think of a computer and they think of the Internet, if you give them a web browser and an email client, that's all they need. So when you put out a full-page ad for Firefox as a fast, you know, alternative to Internet Explorer, you probably will get some converts because, A, it's free, but, you know, when you're talking about Internet Explorer, Internet Explorer is also free. 99% of the average user out there couldn't care less that Mozilla Firefox is open source. Yeah, so they got a boost, but you're talking about a product that 90% of the average user is going to use. If you want to talk to, you know, if you want to tell the differences between CS5 and the GIMP, for example, you're going to have a much harder time about that, and that in the New York Times is not going to do it because you've got a much smaller uh, market share of people who are, you know, graphic designers, for example, and... Yeah, they might be enticed by the fact that the GIMP is free, but they may be less enticed when they find out that they have to learn a whole new different, you know, a whole new way of doing things, or it has a feature that CS5 doesn't have, or vice versa, and so on and so forth. Uh, people who have already been exposed to Windows and Windows software, um, you know, it's, it's hard to make that switch, I guess. Which is kind of leading into the other topic, and I do want to get to that so we don't go, you know, for hours and hours and hours about this one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess we'd like to pin down a couple of thoughts in a few sentences that we can say about whether software being free, and I think we should probably just stick to free as in cost, uh, is helpful or hurtful to software in general. And I think the idea is that most people have a problem with something being free because when they see free, they assume it's cheap or they assume that there's a catch. But putting, putting a price tag on something doesn't necessarily erase that feeling. The problem without having revenue is that marketing becomes problematic. And then I guess we get to the point where we have to decide whether we want Linux to even have market share or we want it to be our dirty little secret. Do we want to take over the world, or do we want to be hidden elite? Do we want to be the the mason? See, that one's a tough one, because um, if you look at a modern Linux distribution, and you compare with something like Windows, or even Mac OS, the interfaces pretty much employ the same concepts. You have windows that you that you open and close. You have icons that you click on. You have menus that you access for, for different commands, and you have a pointer that you use to click to access those different items. I have had people use my systems that were familiar with Windows. They may say that they don't like it because of the fact that they're so used to doing things a certain way, but in the end, they end up 
being able to do what they need to do, be it open a browser, access information, or whatever it is, anything that, that they would normally do on their computer. I think this is more of a perception thing. People perceive because of its it's something that they're it's not something they're used to using that it's it it's different or hard or I mean it's gonna be different obviously, but they think because it's different that it's harder for them. And I'll be honest with you, in most cases it only takes maybe ten minutes of readjustment to finally be to a point where you can say, Okay, I can start using this right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and thank you very you know, for segueing nicely and smoothly into the second topic, which was the the general idea that there's a preconceived notion out there that Linux as an operating system, if people happen to know about it, which a lot of people don't, is that it's immediately harder to use, harder to adopt, harder to install, harder to adapt to than Windows or Mac OS. And I guess we can leave Mac OS out of the picture because uh, when I when I went to the Hamvention and talked to most people, very very few of them, if if they didn't know Linux, they didn't know macOS either. For those people who have come to the podcast since we were promoting ourselves there, and for those of you know, this is the first episode that's come out since then. So I don't want people to feel like we're picking on the people who came to the booth because that's not the idea here. Our purpose was to promote Linux and to get the word out there, and I think we did that. But it was interesting to hear people's trepidations about adopting Linux, those who had actually heard about it, and for those who hadn't heard about it to, you know, because there were several comments made like, well, we're giving away this CD, and the first thing out of their mouth was, well, are there any viruses on it? You know, so on and so forth. They just assumed because it was free that that it was full of malware or something like that. I reiterated time and time again that it's like not only is this piece of software free and virus free, but you can actually go ahead, throw it in your system, run it, play around with the system since it's a live CD without altering your computer in any way, decide whether you like it or not. And if you don't, you just go ahead and throw it in the trash or hopefully give it to your friend and have them try it or something and then go back to whatever Windows proprietary software you happen to like. That seemed to alleviate many fears about the software. You know, th- that's one way to do it, I suppose, is literally making it easier and getting that word out that it is easier. And I think installing Linux these days, particularly Ubuntu and Linux Mint and the other Debian variants, is actually easier than installing Windows. Now, most people don't have to install Windows because it comes pre-installed on their PC when they buy it. But for those people who have problems with Windows, and those people are many, uh, they either have to do a recovery or they have to do a reinstall. If you take the average Linux install currently and the average Windows install currently and put them side by side and ask the, you know, do a double-blind test and ask the users which one they think is easier, uh, I can't say for sure because I haven't done this double-blind study, but I'd be willing to bet that most people would find an Ubuntu, an Ubuntu install easier than installing Windows 7. It's really easy, or one good way to get people involved is to show them how they can run open-source software that's cross-platform on the operating system they already use, take away the fear factor and then show how they can migrate to the open source operating system later. 
However, another problem with that is since they've already paid for Windows or whatever operating system they are using, whether they paid for it by buying a PC with Windows already on it or whether they went to Best Buy and bought an OEM copy or bought a retail copy rather and put it on their machine, since they've already shelled out the money, they're not necessarily interested in changing. To address the second issue of the initial fear factor, for those people who have already been given the name Linux, kind of know what it is, and have this built-in automatic fear that it's somehow incredibly hard to use because once upon a time it really was, but now, as Bob Dylan says, the times they are a-changing, and things have come so far, are we back again to the marketing issue? Or are we at the point where we just have to say, we will promote this by word of mouth, we will be, we will be what we will be, we will take those people who come to the fold, and we'll be content to be, you know, third in the marketplace, and that's where we belong? Uh, I personally am not really satisfied with that, but again, I'm at the place where I'm not sure how to go forward without literally putting some money into it. And where does that money come from? I mean, I'm not sure in this particular economic climate we're going to get a bunch of donations to market Linux, and we're certainly not going to get it through ads. So I'm stumped <laughs> at this point. Um, do you have any no, ideas? I, I understand you completely. I understand you completely because, I mean, you'd think that even through the recession that we've been through, that you would, you know, people would be more open to something that is free, like Linux. And, uh, but, you know, the, the problem is that something you mentioned is that most people, when they go to a Best Buy and they go to, they go to some, you know, a brick and mortar retailer or even an online retailer and they buy a, a PC, uh, unless they specifically ask for one that, you know, are bare bones system or anything like that, the PC is going to come pre-installed with Windows. Or if they go to buy a Mac, it's going to obviously come with an o with OS X pre-installed. The user never, ever has to go through the experience of or installing initially an operating system. That may have been true, you know, about 20 years ago, maybe maybe even less than that. Uh, but in this day and age, it's very rare to find, uh, you know, a, a, at least a brick and mortar like Best Buy or, or anything that's a convenient for the general public to go and buy a, a computer. Very, very rare to 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 find one without an operating system, uh, let alone it just being anything other than Windows. Um, I remember back in the day, uh, Gateway had tried to. Uh, get a deal going with uh, B Incorporated, who were the, the, the people behind the B operating system. Uh, and Microsoft had actually threatened um, had threatened to pull their license agreement with Gateway if they were going to pre-install these machines with BOS. So the best they could really do was include a box of the B operating system with the computer that came pre-installed with Windows. Now, do you really think that the the average user who is buying this gateway computer was going to take the time to pre-install an operating system that they weren't familiar with on their computer. I doubt it highly. I mean, I'm I'm sure they would have stuck with whatever was on there that had software they would have probably been interested in, and that's the situation that 
us as Linux users and people that promote Linux have to fight against. Aside from the marketing, these are computers that are already coming with the OS installed. Granted, there are companies that do sell computers with Linux pre-installed, and even we used, there was a time where even Dell and, and some of the big names had computers with Linux installed. The problem was that the marketing for such devices was extremely poor, and they just didn't know how to handle it. Uh, they never once asked, I mean, look at Asus. Asus was the first to market with a Linux netbook. People were buying these de devices in droves because they realized they could buy a computer that was half, if not more than half the price of a laptop um, that would still allow them to do whatever they needed to do. The problem was that people f assumed that this was something that would also run their Windows software. Asus, and nobody, nobody not even Asus, uh, bothered to inform people that what they were buying was completely different than what they had. Um, you know, that even though it was useful to them, a lot of the software that they had uh, wouldn't be able to run on that. So, and then there were a lot of marketing blunders that unfortunately Linux kind of suffered uh, through, aside from the fact that Microsoft decided to push XP for a lot longer than it did. Um, you know, and those are, those are things that we really have to, to, to deal with. I mean, if you ask me, you put a user in front of any installation, and the average user in front of any installation, they're going to have a problem no matter what. I've gone through installations of, of Windows, Windows Vista, Mac OS X, and Linux, Ubuntu. Even though for you, someone like you and me, or most Linux users out there, it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, somebody like my father, who, who is, a, is a Mac OS user, he would never be able to install the operating system on his own. And mind you, the install on a Mac is brain-dead simple. But even still, the average user is going to have a hard time performing an installation. Um, I've come across people that even with the restore disks, they ask me if I can do it for them because they're scared that they might break something. Because they don't know, they, they figure they don't know what they're doing, so they might end up breaking it. Um, at the, and that's that's... That's one of the biggest things that we as Linux users and promoters, as I said, have to fight with is the fact that because of the fact that most of these computers come pre-installed, Windows is being thrown in their face and, and, and that is the only option that they're given. I think there needs to be, in that sense, more marketing towards getting something like Linux pushed out, pre-installed, and ready to go for the end user. Um, and the more we see that, we may see some gradual changes in perception. Uh, again, how long have we been have have PCs been shipping with Windows? How long have people been uh, using Microsoft products? I mean, that's a it's a long time to you know a, a lot of you know long uh, uh, period of perception to 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 fight. You know, I, I know we could go for forever and ever and ever about this, but it's probably about yeah. time to <laughs> to achieve some kind of closure to the topics at hand. And it may be that uh, we we come around to marketing, and I guess what we need to figure out is how to market Linux, how to do it cost-effectively and efficiently and let people know what's out there. Because right now, honestly, Linux does best when people don't know it's Linux. I mean, if you look at every device that people think is cool, if and, and this includes things like the iPhone, 
all the new smartphones, WebOS, the iPhone, the RockU, 90% of cool embedded systems that do multimedia, that do Wi-Fi connectivity, that do 3G networking, they all run Linux. But no one knows it. And that's why I think Linux is, is sort of like everybody's dirty little secret right now. Everybody uses Linux every day. Well, maybe not everybody, but lots of people who don't realize it are using Linux every day and just don't realize. Yeah. And, and, of course, even macOS under the hood. You know, it's not Linux, but it's BSD, which, you know, mm -hmm. you say tomato, I say, what well, you know. <laughs> it, exactly. It, <laughs> so... I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, we've we've thrown around a lot of ideas. I, I think there's been an, a really interesting dialogue here, and we have come to no conclusion whatsoever. I, I think we have to I th we have to decide what we want to do for ourselves as a community. We have to decide if we're content we're, if we're content with the market share and the interest level we're at. We have to decide if that's not good enough, if we want to get ourselves out there. And then if we want to become a player, we have to decide where the money is going to come from and how the marketing is going to happen. Because grassroots is great, open source philosophy is a wonderful thing, but if we want to sway minds and if we want to own the hearts of the people, you and I talking on a podcast and going around to trade shows and preaching to the converted is not going to do it. And and this is you know part of the thing that I think is a little a, a little tougher as at least where Linux is concerned because you have a diverse Linux distribution community that are geared towards different types of users. It's very hard to say that we as a Linux community should go and you know if we want to get there aren't not all Linux distros are looking to get the end user. I mean, Slackware, for one, in my opinion, I don't think they're looking to to to, to attract the end user. If they manage to do so, great, you know, and th that that's probably one end user that they do want to have as part of the as the Slackware community. It, it all depends on what the distribution's goals are and who their target audience is. Um, in that respect, I think maybe something like Ubuntu or Mint. Uh, uh, or various others that are, that are kind of geared for the end user would open the door to a lot of other alternatives. So I would, I guess that those distributions would kind of be like a foot in the door for the end user, and those would have those would be the ones I I would assume that would have to find ways to focus on getting to the end user and grabbing the appeal of, uh, of the end user. To say, oh, this intrigues me enough that I want to use it and know more about it, uh, as opposed to anything else that's out there uh, that that I'm already familiar with. Um, once that user is familiar with something like that, I think at that point is when they see the door really open wide for them and all of the different uh, uh, choices and solutions that they have open to them. But until they get they they get that foot in the door, or until that. You know, it's kind of, if you think about it, it's like a, a a light starting to shine in a very dark place. Once that small bit of light comes in, the more you see, the more you're able to see, the more you can see what's around you as that light continues to, you know, as, as you're aware of your surroundings. So I think that's kind of how I, I perceive it would have to be for the end user. Uh, those that are focused 
uh, towards the end user really need to see what it is that the that appeals to the user and kind of go for that um, again without compromising what are the core values of the community itself I do think it's possible uh, it's not gonna it's not an easy battle but I do think it's possible and it's not something that I would say would have to be world domination uh, because I think there should be choice but people should be free to choose whatever they want if they want to go with proprietary software that's their choice if they choose to go with free software that's great if they choose to go with open software that's not GPL that's great too uh, you know for me uh, choice is being able to choose what you want to do if you want to be shackled to, to, to closed software that's your choice entirely um, but people should be made aware of the fact that there are other options and once those particular distributions open the door for them or shed that light in that darkness then as as they start to see the surrounding community they start to to get more of an idea of what's really out there and they can make an informed choice all right so well i think what we've laid down is the idea that as far as we're concerned red hat canonical whatever becomes of novell and oracle had best start promoting linux in every way possible and those of you know the rest of the community including the other distributions like Arch and Gentoo and Fedora and Slackware will benefit by proxy of having been exposed by the more user-centric Linux distributions. And once people are interested in that, they might try and delve deeper and uh, get with the, the distributions that don't necessarily care, but are focused on the power user or the developer. So... Uh, Canonical and Red Hat, get out there, spread the word. <laughs> <laughs> You've got all the money. You know, in proprietary software, sure, it, it's a choice. But when you think about it, if you think about Dell and Gateway, if Gateway is even still in business, I'm not really sure. Um, and whatever, whatever online shops that the average user might know about when they sell a PC, you don't have a choice. And the reason you don't have a choice is because that proprietary software company is showing its, you know, it's basically showing its corporate biceps and it's muscling the PC manufacturers into excluding every option except them. Simple marketing is not going to overcome that. It's going to take a real push to create the ability to have choice. And I'm not really sure where that's going to come from. And I don't think we're going to solve that question tonight. But uh, I'd like to see some progress. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to be the one who uh, has the answer, where, you know, where that progress is going to come from. Better minds than mine will have to figure that out. But ho hopefully it will happen. Yeah, I hope so, too. I think it's going to take a while, but I, I personally, I, I do see uh, uh, Linux having some mind share in the general user uh, as opposed to maybe even the last three years compared to that. Um, so I, I do think there is that hope. People, there's more exposure to it. People have to deal with more technically inclined people that have been exposed to it, who in turn may expose them to it. So it's 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 a slow thing, but it's a, it seems to me, at least in my opinion, a gradual thing. Maybe an eventual thing, you know, an inevitable thing, at least, even if slow. One can only hope. One can only hope. <laughs> Well, I will hope along with you. 
Well, thank you, everybody, for sticking around with us for this uh, much longer than I thought was going to be discussion of a couple of interesting Linux topics. And thank you very much for your uh, valuable insight, Claudio. And uh, it's been really nice having you here. Oh, it's been it's my pleasure. I, it, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. All right, that's great. Well, I tell you what, why don't you uh, get in a plug for anything you're interested in plugging, uh, including Linux Basement, if you'd like to do that, and then I will uh, put in a few words and we will get on with life. Absolutely. Well, you can find uh, Chad and I, uh, Chad and me over at uh, uh, linuxbasement.com. Uh, uh, you'll find the uh, links to the, uh, the, the feeds there. Um, we're also on Identica. Uh, as uh, at Claudio M and at Chad Wallenberg on Identica. I don't have a Twitter account, but uh, Chad, Chad Wallenberg is on Twitter. Uh, same uh, username on the Twitter. Uh, and you can also find us on the uh, IRC on uh, freenode.net under uh, hash Linux basement. So uh, hopefully you can uh, check out the podcast and... Uh, you know, be sure to send us some feedback as well. If uh, you know, good or bad, whatever it may be, <laughs> we'll take it. Um, and come join us on the IRC or on Identica or Twitter. Uh, we also have a uh, Facebook uh, uh, fan page there. Uh, so if you're on Facebook, be sure to search for Linux Basement and uh, join up. Uh, so uh, and we're both on there. So uh, our our uh, contact information for Facebook is on the actual group name there. So. Uh, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, be sure to get in touch with us. Uh, my email is claudio at linuxbasement.com, and Chad's is chad at linuxbasement.com. So uh, hope to hear from you. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And once again, uh, thank you for having me here on uh, Linux in the Ham Shack. It's, uh, it's been fun. It's been great, and I really enjoyed it. Well, it's been our pleasure to have you, so thank you very much for that. And everybody needs to go check out Linux Basement at linuxbasement.com. And you've got all the information that Claudio just gave you. And if you want to hear intelligent, thought-provoking discussion like you've just heard here, Linux Basement is the place to go. Of course, listen to it right after you listen to Linux in the Handshake. So.